God, we come to you believing that when you speak to us through your word, these aren't just words on a paper. They are words of life. They're not meant to um, confuse us. They're not meant to discourage us or bring us down. They're meant to bring us life, to bring life into our bones. And you know that we need it um, as we've gone through the week, as we have gone through difficulties this week, God. I pray that you would breathe life into us through your Holy Spirit that this aspect of your immutability this week, that it would um, not only inform us, but that it would transform us, God. So I ask that you would teach us. I pray that you would give us soft hearts to receive your word. And we ask that your will be done here in Room 29. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going through the incommunicable attributes of God. So who can tell me what incommunicable means? It's um, so commune. Uh, commune that is the the root word. Commune comes from uh, there's just sense of uh, sharing, right? Community is life shared, right? So when we say that something is communicable, we, we mean that something can be shared. So there are some aspects of God that are shared between man and God, such as the holiness of God. God is holy, and God says in His Word. Be holy as I am holy. God tells us to be kind because that is a characteristic of God. Uh, these are communicable attributes of God. And at some point in the next couple years, we're probably going to study the communicable attributes of God. But right now, we're studying the incommunicable attributes of God. These are the attributes of God that are not shared by human beings. These are unique to God alone. There is no other being that is like God in terms of his incommunicable attributes. So today we talk about the immutability of God. So the root word is mutate. Mutate, if something mutates, it means that something has changed. It has changed either for better or for worse. God is not capable of mutating. Thus, thus we say that he is immutable. God cannot change. So we have here uh, the definition of immutability. Immutability, actually, a few by a few, diff- a couple of different theologians and uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but um, the very short definition is that God does not change. I have this Latin phrase "semper item." Semper item. If you guys have ever looked on the back of a truck, it might say um, "semper fi." These are the. Is it the Marines that say "semper fi"? They're all, always faithful, right? That's a characteristic of Marines. Well, I'm going to say God is semper item. Semper item. It means that God is always the same. Item is the same. God is always the same. And only God can say that God is semper item. So we have in our Westminster Shorter Catechism, this is the uh, articulation of everything that this church believes, the Westminster Longer and Shorter Catechism. God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. There's a word. Everything that God is, is unchangeable. Louis Brickoff, the theologian, he says that the perfection of God by which he does not change in his being, perfections, purposes, or promises. Charles Spurgeon, the, is he the uh, 20th century? The, uh, the, the 19th century Baptist preacher says this, Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Though you have shifted 
your intentions and your will, yet he has not once swerved from his eternal purpose, but still has held you fast. So he's talking about, look at yourself, look at your own life. Consider all the times in which you have uh, vacillated and all the times in which you have changed your mind. Think of all the times you've gone one way when you said that you would go another way. Now, consider God. He has never once changed. He has never once gone off course. He's never once had a any doubt in his, in his mind as to who he is or what he is going to do. This is amazing. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in a few moments and then again toward the end of this lesson. Um, I'm going to have someone. Can I ask for a volunteer read Psalm 102? Tracy will read Psalm 102. Of old you laid the All right, this is kind of the um, classic passage on the unchangeability of God. God says in his word, uh, whatever I am, that is never going to change. Everything that you know me to be, that is never going to change. Uh, and his purposes don't change. His character doesn't change. His goodness doesn't change. His love does not change. And this is really good news. So... God has always existed, right? We, we talked about, last week, Pastor Michael spoke about the eternality of God. God doesn't exist um, within the realm of time. God exists outside of time, right? Uh, this, the eternity is not um, one long stretch of time. It is, uh, it is outside of time as we understand it. So God exists forever, and he, in his eternality, he never Nothing in him ever changes, and um, we'll talk a little, a little bit more as the lesson progresses as to how this attribute of God interacts or informs the other attributes of God that we've been studying. So, uh, any questions or comments before we move on? Okay, so hopefully that is uh, just this kind of a simple explanation. I think that um, we can at least on some level understand that God doesn't change. Uh, so let's... Expound on that. So yes, Tracy. Change, like yeah, nothing about God will ever change. Uh, although I, I, I'm glad that you brought up, does God change His mind? Because we're actually going to address that directly later. But that's a good question. Um, God is. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll speak more on that later. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, so we've got fickle man and faithful God. Let me read this passage from Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? This is, passage talks about the, again, the fact that God will not change. And um, so what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is I'm just going to compare and contrast between what we know of human beings and what we know of God. So if you guys have... I'm sure most of you guys have been to weddings before, and when we go to weddings, we hear these two people make promises to each other, and they will say that I'm going to love you forever, and they will say that um, that I, I'm, I'm going to give my the rest of my life to you, and this is all great and beautiful, but the thing with with marriage with weddings is that that's one point in time there's no guarantee that these people are going to stay the same right even the best intention people even the people that are just 
at that moment, everything in them says, yeah, like I'm, I'm giving myself wholeheartedly and completely to this person. But over the years and decades, this person will inevitably change. This We just have to, right? And sometimes it's for the worse, and sometimes they will break their promises. And if we look at the at the Bible, it's there's there's a running theme throughout the Bible, which is that God is a bridegroom of God's people, and God's people are the unfaithful bride. This is true in the Old Testament, and it's true in the New Testament. The the end of the biblical story actually ends in a story of marriage. Uh, in the beginning, it starts with these two people, Adam and, and, and Eve, and they present kind of the image of what uh, a relationship should be like. And as the story goes on, there is Israel. Israel is this, God has chosen this nation to set his affections upon. And he says, I'm going to love you with an everlasting love. But if we look at the Old Testament story, the people of Israel are always breaking their promises. They're always breaking the, the covenant. They're always messing up. And God, over and over, he reminds them, I still love you. I still love you. I may punish you. I may discipline you, but I still love you. And these people keep on messing up. And uh, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Unoffendable, Unoffendable by this guy named Brent Hansen. And it's really great because he says that his premise is really provocative. He says that we cannot be angry. He says being angry is a sin. And I know that this runs against what we may hear in church. Um, I'll just, it's on sale at, on Amazon for two ninety nine. the Kindle version. I recommend that you read it for, especially for those of you who, um, get offended really easily. Some people get, uh, angry really easily, but he says that he gives the example of someone who commits this terrible crime. And you know, when, when this happens, the reporters usually go to this person's home and they talk to the neighbors about this person and, they ask them, oh, what was this person like? And inevitably people will say, this guy was such a nice person. We could never imagine that he would he was capable of doing whatever it is that he did. And in this book, this author, he says, really, did you really not expect that this, other, this person could do what he did? Did you really expect that he couldn't commit really terrible acts of evil? Sometimes we get surprised when... when people let us down we get we're surprised when they commit some sin um, when they say something that we don't expect them to say we we get offended we get triggered we we get angry how can this be Um, this person i thought was a good person well the story of the bible for men at least is that no even the best intention people they will mess up all the time so let's compare man versus god um, in Psalm 146, it says, Don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Everyone is looking for someone to provide them salvation. They're not going to put it in those terms always, um, that th- these religious terms, but look at this election cycle. We're looking for someone to put our the salvation of America in, right? Um, whether it be the Republican or the Democrat or the Independent. Someone, we want someone to provide us salvation. If not this political figure, then perhaps maybe my friend, perhaps this family member, perhaps this company will provide salvation. And the Bible says, no, uh, that person is going to let you down. Instead, Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, I want you to consider a rock. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of a rock? Welcome to the rock. 
It's it's hard. Yeah. Solid. So, yeah, it's a solid. Just imagine this. I guess it's semi-square rock. Um, when the Bible talks about a rock, it all God is is um, characterized as a rock repeatedly in the Bible. Um, and, and what it's meant to give us is an image of this steadfastness, this steadiness. When you stand on the rock, you cannot be shaken, right? Um, Jesus talks about uh, the man who builds his house upon a rock versus the man who builds his house upon a sand. Those who trust in other people, those who trust in themselves, are building their lives upon sand. Those who trust in God are building their lives upon this rock that cannot move, this stable thing. So... Um, a few verses. There are some like classic passages about the immutability of God. Can I have someone read uh, Malachi 2? Let me ask for someone from this table right here. Malachi 2. Uh, Maggie will. Have we not all one Father? Have not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless all right so this passage is talking about the people of god and they're asking themselves what went wrong i thought that we were faithful i thought we made promises to god and look guys we have messed up we're faithless to each other we are profaning each other um this this promise that we made we've broken it and we've repeatedly broken it well, what provides a contrast? Can I have someone else read Malachi 3, please? Can I have you, Tay, read Malachi 3? For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so this is in the same book. Malachi is this... Uh, this Old Testament uh, minor prophetic mo- minor prophetic book it talks about as is usually the case the relationship between God's people and God. God's people will are faithless, but God says uh, that is ultimately okay because I am faithful to you. I will not change. The promises I've made to you will remain the same. Uh, we see that something similar in James, the New Testament book of James. It compares man and God. Can I have someone read James 1, please? Can I have you, Edward? Let him ask in faith with no doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, thanks. So... There's the image of the ship being pa- tossed back and forth uh, about someone being double-minded, unstable, contra the rock. Uh, we are all like this, right? Um, even the best of us were were unstable. I think maybe as we mature, as we grow older, we might become less stable. We, we might become more stable, but there is always still some instability in us. Um, that's always going to be the case. But for God, can you uh, read James one seventeen again? Uh, Ed. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
All right, thank you. So this verse is just a few verses away from the previous passage that Ed read, and it talks, it contrasts. Well, you, 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 double-minded man, you, um, you unstable woman, uh, this is what you are, um, un- unless you ground yourself in something. And who can you grind, ground yourself in? The Father of Lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So let me point out this word shadow. If you guys have ever played with lights. Um, I, I think that the author of James is being very intentional about using the word shadow because if I were to have a flashlight and point it at this at this pen, if I just move this, if I move the light just a little bit, like half a millimeter, the shadow would change. The, there's a magnification of change when something, when, when you're playing with light, right? And uh, this passage is saying not even this, not even... There's not even the slightest variation in God. God will not change the least bits. He's like the rock. I mean, even even the image of rock, even here on Earth, rocks are going to change. They're going to move. They're going to. I think someone said like Mount Everest moves like half an inch per year or something like that. I don't know if that's true or not, but even the uh, most grand, big objects will still change and move. God, not even the slightest change. Uh, so this is um, this is. The, co- the comparison between fickle man and faithful God. Any comments or questions before we move on? Okay, let's move on. Um, that table, these three, can, can I, uh, you three right there, I'm going to have you guys prepare to read. So when asked for volunteers, I expect someone there to raise their hand. All right, so God is unchanging in his purposes. God isn't changing in a, a number of things, but I'm going to focus on unchanging in his purposes just because this is kind of where we're headed and we don't have time to cover every single facet of this aspect of God. But God is unchanging in his purposes. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. So God has created you and me for a purpose. God has created the universe and all of history for a purpose. And it may seem like things are going crazy. Uh, there's political unrest. Our bodies are falling apart. The country's deteriorating. Um, fill in the blank. All these things are changing. But whatever God has planned for us will never change. God doesn't look at the world and say, oh, no, I need to come up with a plan B. I need to come up with a contingency plan because this is bad news. I didn't expect uh, human beings, I didn't expect nature to behave the way it did. So something needs to, I, I need to come up with something else. Uh, but is that true? Can I have Isaiah, someone read Isaiah 46, please? Thank you, Joe. All right, this is beautiful. Um, again, the scripture is repeating what God is saying. Whatever I'm playing, playing this is uh, in the book of Isaiah. It's in the middle of all this political unrest, and not just political unrest, but also God's people are they're they're scared, they're anxious, they don't know what is going on, they don't know what their future is going to be like, and God is reminding His people, 
I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. It will not change my 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 good and wise plan and purpose for history is going to remain the same. And this is why it's good for us to study the promises of God, because when there are always going to be times when it seems like, oh, it's I don't know. I don't. Uh, it seems like things are going really bad. Um, we need to study the promises of God and believe that He will not. Sw- waver with those promises um, we've got this passage in hebrews 6 can i ask you jessica to read that please all right thank you note the last line in hebrews in, in this hebrews passage um, that we would hold fast to the hope that's set before us. What hope do we have in life? If it is Jesus, then it needs to be based on something. So the writer of Hebrews says, you're going to trust on the unchangeable character of his purpose and two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We have... We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. So God is God is reminding us, uh, I'm not kidding around. I'm not just playing. You guys aren't just pawns in my in my game of whatever universal. I don't know whatever it is that I created the universe for. Uh, you guys aren't just pawns. I can't. Everything that God has um, has said to be true will be true forever. Uh, it will not change. Um, so God knows everything that will happen in the future. God knows everything that has happened in the past. And we're going to talk about in, uh, I think, two weeks, uh, the omniscience of God. Do you guys know what the omniscience of God means? God is all-knowing, right? So, so there are some people who say that God is still learning and he responds and he reacts to knowledge that comes to him and um, he, cre- he he alters his his plan or he alters his way of doing things and um, that is heresy that's heretical there are people that teach that there's a I, I mentioned two weeks ago when I when I uh, taught on the sufficiency of God um, there is something called process theology and this is uh, a theology that was um, had some traction in the early 20th century. These guys that kind of shrank God down to this manageable uh, deity. And they said, well, if people pray and if the world continues the way it is, it means it necessarily means that if God is also here with us, he's also learning things along with us. And he, I mean, and, and um there, there's a there's something kind of similar to this called open theism, which uh, was get, had some traction maybe 20ish years ago um, with some theologians and some some Christians, and they said um, God God doesn't know all things in the future. Um, he is learning just like human beings, and I think the purpose of these people coming up with these types of thoughts is that they they want to they want to emphasize that God is like us. God suffers along with us. God weeps with us. God, um, God can, God can 
uh, empathize with us. And that is all true, and that's a beautiful fact of who God is. But it also just really shrinks down God because do you really want a God who's learning things along with you at the same time? And if he didn't know what was going to happen in the future, if he didn't know all things from every angle, from every perspective, is that, does that seem like um, the type of God that is really that great? Um, He might be an empathetic figure. Uh, There are lots of, there are lots of, idols or other gods that people worship and it brings them a lot of comfort that there's someone alongside them but is our is there a god strong enough is there a god uh immutable as we're as we're teaching is that is that the type of god that really brings you true comfort um god says from before the foundation of the world before time ever existed i have set my plan and and we are a part of that uh so any questions or comments before we move on okay let's move on to the this question does god change his mind so this kind of goes along with what i just spoke about the uh this process theology or open theism um does God change his mind? Because this is a really good question. It's a it's a valid question, and it means that people are being thoughtful. Does God change his mind? Because there are in the scriptures several several times when it seems like God has changed his mind, when it seems like he's just kind of backtracks on what he said. So uh, we have in Genesis, the Lord regretted that he made had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Oh, there we have it. Uh, one of God's first major interactions with man um this was this was the within the story of the flood um god says he regretted doing this what about first samuel i regret that i have made saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments if you guys have been around for the sermon series from a few maybe like a year ago um we were go- we were going through the story of Saul and uh, how he's the first king of Israel and Israel says I'm looking at all the we're looking at all the other nations and we want a king just like like the other nations and God says okay let me give you a king a king in the person of Saul and then Saul what is he he is an unfaithful person he does not obey God he does not listen to the prophet Samuel and God looks at this and he says oh okay. It's not what I planned. I made a mistake. I regret doing this. Or 2 Samuel 24. We're going to go hit this passage in probably um, probably in six months, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, in the sermon series. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is, it is enough. Now stay your hand. So what's going on here is that there are these people that deserve judgment from God uh, toward Jerusalem. And it says, as, as the angel is bearing down and about to just just tear apart Jerusalem, God says, hold on one second. I've, it, it seems like he's saying, I've changed my mind. He says, it is, it is enough, now stay your hand. And Jonah, we have this, this, do you guys remember the story of Jonah and the whale? And where does, where does Jonah go? He goes to Nineveh. And these people who deserve destruction and Jonah, 
uh, goes to Nineveh and he preaches and he says, repent of your sins. Um, otherwise, in 40 days, God will destroy you guys. And what do they do? Jonah expected them to just continue in their ways. He can, expected them to be judged by God. But God says, or in Jonah 3.10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Doesn't this go against what you're saying, Wade? He said what he would do to them, and he did not do it. It sounds like this person in James who is double-minded, right? Joel, this this Old Testament prophet, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Again, is God going to take back his judgment? So let me um, let me field some some thoughts from you guys. Is this troubling? Is th- what, what, what thoughts do you have? Does God change His mind? Let me let me let me not just uh, limit it to the scriptural text, but let me throw it out there. Um, does God change His mind in our own lives, or does God change His mind in um, uh, the the nations that we know today? For example, um, there's if you guys have cable, you may have watched um, the. What's it? The uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network is that the uh, Christian, the the Christian station? Um, I I think is that what they have the Seven Hundred Club on um, with Pat Robertson? Um, And I know that he said this before. He said uh, uh, the 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 earthquake in Haiti. I think that was two thousand ten. He said that because Haiti made a deal with the devil, they deserve they. God judged them by sending them an earthquake in 2010. Um, he's also said this about, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was Pat Robertson or some other person on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, but they said that because because um, the United States is the way it is, it deserves judgment because look at all the things that Americans accept now, uh, the sexual ethics and the way, the, the, how corrupt the financial system is. And they said, the only way for they say because of this, um, God is going to judge us, and they say the only way we can we can prevent that is for us to repent and turn back to God for the whole nation, and we need to elect this official into office. Um, what do you guys think of that? Does God can God change His mind? Does He change His mind? Okay, so Shawin saying that it doesn't matter whether or not God because changes God, His mind. Okay, okay. Any responses to Shawin? Let me um, respond, uh, and you guys can jump in if you want, but. Uh, I think I get what you're saying, Shawin. I think that um, 
yes, God is God and he can do whatever he wants to do. And if it's, uh, you mentioned it, if it's part of his plan, then he's going to do it regardless, right? So I, I think within that, we're talking about God, God's plans and purposes. If God's purposes are going to stay the same, that means that his plan doesn't really, or his, his mind doesn't really change. Let me move on. I actually have a, this is the first time I've had a point that is just an O, no. So this is in response to the question, does God change his mind? No. All right. So let me try to, let me try to explain that God does not change his mind, despite what these scriptural texts tell us. So first Samuel 15 and first Samuel 15, 11, it says that God regrets. But in first Samuel 15, 29, it says the glory of Israel, God will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regrets. Oh, so weird that in the same chapter, God says he does regret. And then he says he does not regret. Um, so this is my answer. God is God's purposes. Don't change. Purposes. God's character doesn't change. His perfections don't change. Um, his, uh, I'll put this along with, with what Sean said. God's purposes and plans don't change. Um, when, when the scriptures indicate or when they suggest that God has changed his mind or regrets doing something, what it's doing is it's presenting a story in the form of narrative. So this is, this is a genre of the Bible, narrative. And in order for us to understand all the characters, in order for us to understand what's going on, there, God is, there, it's presenting God as a character. And in order for us to understand how God is reacting or how God is responding, it's using this, it's called a, have you guys heard this term, anthropomorphism? Anthropo, uh, the word is man. Um, Morphism adapt. It's presenting God. It's presenting God anthropomorphically. I think I'm saying that right. Meaning that it's attributing human characteristics to God because there's a story being told. And in order for us to understand how God really is, um, is his his role in the story is presenting these. It's attributing these human characteristics to God. It doesn't mean that God really regrets doing what he did. It means that from our perspective, God is showing sorrow for this this action in the story. That's a simplistic answer. Let me see if I can add another layer to that. When God when God deals with people as as he has in all these passages, he is dealing with them in a way that does not change his character or his purpose. Let me expand on that. Look at uh, Jeremiah 18. Let me read that. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at, the, at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I, would, that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. God, how does God deal with man? Um, there's a word that starts with a C, and it's really big in the Bible. How, how does God interact or deal with man? I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, writing it out slowly until someone can... Uh... 
that's yes covenant and compassionately thank you god deals with man through covenants and we'll look at there the, the whole bible is a story of one big covenant relationship between man and god and within that big covenant there are smaller covenants but god deals with man through covenant and he says if you obey my voice if you listen to me you will live if you do not you will die and in these passages there are all these people who they have not listened to god they have not obeyed him therefore god is being true to his purpose his purpose does not change his character does not change he is a holy god who cannot stand sin he does not change and therefore he must deal with man according to his covenant which does not change either does that make sense uh so we see we see this in um first and second samuel we see this in joel where these people they did not listen to their god and god says i'm going to be true to who i am and i am going to deal with you i'm going to judge you um but if you in the instance of jonah if you repent then you will live that is again that goes along with the covenant you have you have humbled yourself before god there's my three minute warning you have humbled yourself before god and you will live so does god change his mind no god doesn't because he's being true to his character when the scriptures present god as someone who changes his mind um it's putting it in a context that we as human beings as story listeners can understand okay any questions comments Yeah. Yeah, totally. You're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not regretting that decision yeah. to do it, but you feel the pain of yeah. doing it. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. I think that's like the emotional, emotional complexity of God. If we can feel it as humans, it's probably infinitely safe for God, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And this goes back to the eternality of God, right? He exists outside of time, but then in order for him to relate to man, he has to ex- he has to work within the confines of history, of our of how we understand time and space, right? So... This was most clearly shown in Jesus. The Word became, or the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Um, God has condescended so that He could interact with man on our level. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. You bring up a. I'm just going to throw a word out here. It's I'm not going to talk about it too much um, because we don't have time. But related to the immutability of god is the impassibility of god not impossibility but impassibility the root word pass passa um sounds very similar to passion right passion means suffering does god suffer along with man does god feel the emotions that we do and the orthodox christian view is that god is impassable meaning that he does not suffer but does not mean that 
we're not saying that he doesn't suffer uh, the way that Jesus did. We're saying that he is not influenced and he is not he does, he's not fickle. Like when we feel emotions, um, it sways us, right? They say like the worst worst time to uh, go grocery shopping is when you're hungry, right? You're you might be hangry and you just you're not thinking straight. When we're when we're very emotional, we're not thinking straight, and it it, it directs us in one one um, way of action or another. When we when we say that God is impassable, we're saying that God. It doesn't mean that God does not feel, because in the scriptures we see that He weeps, He rejoices, He sings, He delights in things. This is not a cold, sterile God. This is a passionate God, but He is not affected by emotions and pain and suffering the same way that we are. Okay? So you guys can uh, just Google that word later if you want to find out more. Um, this whole thing is, like, I, when I was uh, preparing this series, or this uh, lesson, I was like, uh, it's probably not that complicated. God doesn't change the end, right? Um, there's actually a lot more to it, so I'm not going to cover the lot more, but that's it. Um, let me move on with the last few minutes that we have. Our trustworthy God. So... Uh, if you guys have ever, there, there's, there's a, um, a trilogy called, uh, um, I don't know what the trilogy, trilogy as a whole is called, but then there's a movie series called, starring Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy, and it's called, uh, the first movie came out in the mid-90s called Before Sunrise, and this is the story of two people that meet, I think it's in France, um, two total strangers, they meet one night, and then for, it, the f- film follow, follows them for a few hours before sunrise. They just have this like great, fantastic time. They're, they totally fall in love, um, and it's just this this moment of bliss. Um, and these people, they, they the the movie ends with them um, departing. And oh, by the way, they forgot to get each other's contact info. Um, What's going to happen next? Nine years later, the film called Before Sunset comes out. And this is the same couple. At this point, the man, uh, played by Ethan Hawke, he is married with a kid. The woman, played by Julia Delpy, she has a boyfriend and she's doing humanitarian work, but she's unhappy in her relationship. And they talk and they've, they've realized after nine years, um, they still are attracted to each other from this one night of passion and romance in France. And they the, the movie ends with them. You're, they're still not sure how things are going to go. Um, I think it was another nine or ten years. The third film in this trilogy came out called Before Midnight. And at this point, the man is divorced. He has a, he has a teenage son, I think. Um, the woman, she's not with her boyfriend anymore. And they connect after this these 18, 19 years apart. And they, they, they're in a, a relationship together. But they realize, you know, I don't think that you're the same person you were when I first met you. I don't feel the same way. Um, I'm not the same. You're not the same. And it's this great study in just how we as human beings mature and develop and grow and how we gain more insight so we can see how other people are. Yet we put our trust in people all the time. If we're married, we put I put my trust in Christine, and she puts her trust in me, and you might put your trust in whoever it is. But the what the immutability of God says, you cannot trust in anyone besides God. We talked about the aseity of God a few weeks ago. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God says, I am who I am, which means this word, this name, I am who I am, there's no... 
um, past, present, future tense to it. It just means that God is. God is reality. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. If you know the name of I am, you you will not forsake those people. Uh, and uh, Psalm 119, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Uh, so God is trustworthy because he will not change. I'm sorry, I'm like totally uh, flying through this. I'm going to try to finish the rest in two minutes. But uh, God does not change. God God is not, God does not learn. He is not a being. God just is being. Okay, so God is not being because this word implies that there's, there's a kind of a becoming, there's a progression. God is just being. Actually, the word, the, the phrase I am is translated it can be translated as to be. God does not become, but we are becoming all the time. We are human, not just human beings, but I have this down here. We are human becomings. We're human becomings because we're always changing. And this is really good news because I'm really screwed up and you're really screwed up. And we have all these sin issues. And God says, it's okay because if you have put your trust in me, you can you can you can grow and develop and mature into the person that I've created you to be. Hebrews thirteen, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of the the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. We'll, we'll listen to people and we'll change. We'll ingest information and we'll change. Paul, the, or the writer of Hebrews, he says, imitate these people that have exemplified the Christian life for you. And what is the basis for that? Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our progress is rooted in the unchangeability of Jesus. First John, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We will... The world is always changing, but if we abide in God, then we will be rooted. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Second Timothy, Timothy. So despite all our sin, that will not change the mind of God. Despite all our flaws, God will not say, oh, this person has messed up again. No more mercy for them. No. I'm always loving this person. I'm always merciful and compassionate with this person. I love them with a covenant love. And 2 Corinthians will end with this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the unchanging God, are being transformed. We are becoming into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that's it. Our hope in change is the fact that God does not change. All right? So let me close with that. I'm sorry I went over time. I got too excited. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your immutability, for your unchangeability, for the rock that you are. God, I pray that you would teach us to build our life upon the rock and not on sandy soil so that we can grow and flourish and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.